I imagine that most of you think eating is one of the most important things that we do. Can you agree with that? Oh, yeah. You ever thought about what's the most important meal that we eat? Some would say breakfast, of course, because it starts the day off right and provides us a basis to go through the day. Some might say lunch, because lunch is what gets us through the main portion of the day. Others might say supper, because, of course, supper is the time when most families get to spend time with one another. But, of course, I know you're already ahead of me. You recognize we're at church, so I know what this has to do with, right? The real important meal in which we partake is not a literal meal at all, but rather is a memorial meal. It's the meal that we participate in following in the example of the early church found in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 as they gathered together on the first day of the week to break bread. It's the Lord's Supper. And today in our service, we want to focus our attention on this supper, on Jesus and His sacrifice and the memorial that we take weekly in order to remember what Jesus has done for us. Because we're going to do this, we're devoting the teaching, the singing, everything to looking at the Lord's Supper. We're going to change the order of services, as I'm sure you already noticed since I got up here first after the announcements. We're going to take the collection as we begin. And so I'm going to ask the men who have been chosen to help with that to come to the table. We're going to take the collection following that. We're going to get into our, the rest of our worship as we take a look at the Lord's Supper. So if you would, prepare for that, and we'll call them in to the table. If there's anything that we remember about what Jesus said when He instituted the Lord's Supper, it's what we can find in Luke chapter 22 and verse 19. As He pointed out to us that this supper in which we partake is a memorial meal. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 19, the text reads, And when He had taken some bread and given thanks... He broke it and He gave it to them saying, This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. We find this repeated by Paul twice in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as he gave his recap of the institution of the supper. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24 it says, When He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And then in verse 25, after the supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. As we consider the Lord's Supper, we understand that it is a memorial meal. Established for the generations. When we consider a memorial, we understand that a memorial was well established under the Old Covenant. And we can go back to the Old Testament and find exactly what God meant when He established something as a memorial. You can look in Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. As God established for the Israelites the Passover meal, the festival, He said in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 14, Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. But notice what he also said in chapter 13 and verse 9. In Exodus chapter 13 and verse 9, It shall serve as a sign to you on your hand, and as a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with the powerful hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. When we gather around the table of the Lord, 
and we participate in this memorial, it is to be a reminder. Such an obvious reminder as something written on our hands or standing out in our foreheads. A reminder of what God has done for us with a purpose. To remember the sacrifice that God has given for us such that His law and His covenant with us will not depart from our mouth, but we will be constantly reminded of it to live by it. A memorial serves as a reminder to us, but also we find a teaching element in Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. In Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, As they're about to cross the Jordan, in Joshua chapter 4 and verse 1, the text reads, Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men whom he appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And in verse 5, Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the son of Israel. Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Here is the memorial. What was its purpose? So that when your children ask, what are these stones for? You can teach them, look at what God has done for us. When we participate in the supper, it is that very same kind of memorial. It's the kind of memorial that our children can ask, why do we do that? And we can say to them, listen to what our great God has done for us. But it's not only the issue of passing it on to our children, but also even teaching and proclaiming it to all who are here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26, As Paul discussed the supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26, he said, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Not only do we remember what God has done, but we're teaching what God has done, passing it on to our children and to anyone else who might come into our assemblies as we proclaim our faith in God and what He has done for us. This is one of the most evangelistic things that we can do as we demonstrate through the supper, the memorial, and what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. There's one more thing we need to take note of regarding the memorial. In Hebrews chapter 10, the Hebrew writer provides an awesome contrast for us. We find that all of the sacrifices under the old law were also a memorial. And in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, For the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. 
Every year when the high priest would offer the atonement sacrifice, there was a memorial. But what did they remember? They remembered that they were sinners. And that the blood of these bulls and goats could not pay for their sins. And so in reality, they were still in their sins. And every year they had a reminder of sin. But notice what the Hebrew writer says beginning in verse 11. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all times, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14, for by one offering... He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies for after saying, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I'll put my laws upon their hearts and on their mind I'll write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Under the old law, a yearly reminder of sin. Under the new covenant, a weekly reminder of forgiveness. Jesus does not have to be sacrificed every year. He does not have to be sacrificed every week. We participate in a memorial that certainly reminds us that our sins put Jesus on the cross but it also reminds us that Jesus on the cross paid for our sins and brought about grace and mercy and forgiveness. What a joyous occasion participating in this memorial is. Not only is the supper of our Lord a memorial meal, but when we consider it in its biblical context, we find out that it's also a sacrificial meal. Not that we are sacrificing Jesus again on a weekly basis. We've already pointed out that's unnecessary. But rather that we are remembering that sacrifice and sharing in that sacrifice. Again, we find in Luke chapter 22 and verse 19, And when He had taken some bread and given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is My body, which is given for you. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28, In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28, Jesus said regarding the cup, This is My blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is about a sacrifice instituted within a meal that was about another sacrifice. One of the most often overlooked aspects of the Old Testament sacrifices is the fact that when the people of God would sacrifice the bull, the heifer, the ram, the goat, the turtle dove, whatever it was, the unleavened bread, the drink offering, they would also sit down and eat of that sacrifice. Perhaps the one in which we would most remember it would be the Passover, especially since that's exactly what Jesus and His disciples are doing at the point in which our memorial is established. They have sacrificed the Passover lamb, and now they were participating in that sacrificial meal. If you look back in Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 6, the text says, As it talked about this unblemished lamb, you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. 
Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Verse 8. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at, at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until the morning. But whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner. It goes on to describe how they would participate in that memorial meal for the Passover. You look in Deuteronomy chapter 12, we find out that it wasn't just the Passover sacrifice that the Israelites would eat. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, also verse 6, in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 6, the text there says, There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. There also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Look in verse 17 and 18. You are not allowed to eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or new wine or oil or the firstborn of your herd or flock or any of your votive offerings which you vow or your free will offerings or the contribution of your hand. But you shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God will choose. You and your son and your daughter. And it goes on to describe the folks who will eat it with them. The sacrifice was sacrificed and then the people ate it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10... In verse 18, Paul explains the significance of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 18, Paul says, Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? Under the Old Covenant, eating the sacrifice signified that they were sharers, they were participators, they were in fellowship with that altar and the blessings that came from that altar. And that's exactly what we're doing today. As we participate in this meal, this sacrificial meal, we are sharing in the altar. We are sharing in the cross of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that was offered for the forgiveness of our sins. As we consider these sacrifices and the types and the antitypes, the shadows and the substance, we would recognize that probably two of the sacrifices under the Old Covenant stand out as a type of the Lord's Supper and as a type of our sacrifice, Jesus. The Passover sacrifice, which we've already alluded in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Paul wrote, Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Jesus is our Passover. Just as that lamb was killed while they were there in Egypt, and the blood separated out those people from the Egyptians such that as death came upon the firstborn in Egypt, they were overlooked. The Israelites were saved from death. Jesus is our sacrifice. And as we participate in this meal, we are sharers in that sacrifice, recognizing that His blood sets us apart. The death that plagues our world through sin is not our death because we have been made alive through the blood of Jesus Christ. The second sacrifice which stands out under the Old Covenant as a type of the Lord's Supper and Jesus our sacrifice, is that yearly atonement sacrifice to which we've already referred. Hebrews chapter 10 demonstrates how Jesus 
is so much like that atonement sacrifice and yet even greater because He does not have to be sacrificed again. We recognize the forgiveness and the atonement that we receive through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And as we participate in that memorial meal, we are reminded of that atonement and that forgiveness and we are sharing in that atonement. But notice also what it says in Hebrews chapter 10 beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brethren... Since we have confidence into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The sacrifice for our atonement, Jesus Christ, has allowed us as God's royal priesthood to come into the presence of God and to worship Him, and weekly we participate in that atonement fellowshipping in that cross, in that sacrifice offered for us, which allows us to come into the presence of God. Under the Old Covenant, they couldn't do that. The high priest, once a year, was allowed to go through the veil into the most holy place. But we are allowed, because of this sacrifice for our atonement, to be in the presence of God at all times. We are His royal priesthood. And as we participate in this meal, we are demonstrating our participation in that sacrifice. One of the great contrasts, however, regarding the sacrificial meals under the Old Covenant and our sacrificial meal under the New Covenant, look in Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 10. In Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 10. In Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 10, God commanded the people, any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Therefore I said to the sons of Israel, no person among you may eat blood, nor may any alien who sojourns among you eat blood. When the Israelites would sacrifice the Passover, the atonement sacrifice, their votive offerings... They would kill the animal and then they would pour the blood out at the base of the altar. They would sprinkle it on the altar in various places within the tabernacle. But they were not allowed to drink it. But our sacrificial meal, we eat the body and we drink the blood. The bread which represents Christ's body and the fruit of the vine which represents His blood which was shed for many for the remission of sins. Why? I believe it's because the life is in the blood. And as we participate in the bread, which is His body, we are participating in that cross, that sacrifice that was offered and given for us. And we drink the blood in which is the life. We not only participate in the sacrifice, but we participate in the life that comes through that sacrifice. And as we eat the bread and drink the fruit of the vine, we are sharing in that sacrifice which Jesus offered for us. What a great sacrifice it was. The Lord's Supper is not only a memorial meal, it's not only a sacrificial meal, but in the context of Scripture we find out that it's also a 
covenant meal. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 20, just after Jesus had said, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me, it says in verse 20, in the same way, Luke 22, in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The sacrifice that Jesus was offering was a covenant sacrifice. Once again, we go into the Old Testament to understand the concept of the covenant and its sacrifice and and the meal that would go along with that. According to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, there are four things that were always present whenever anyone, whether between men or between men and God, had a covenant made between them. The first thing that was always present were the terms of the covenant. Look in Genesis chapter 31 just want you to see an example of this. In Genesis chapter 31, this is the account of Laban coming after Jacob as Jacob and Laban's daughters and their sons are, are leaving. Laban comes after him. He's going to do him harm and God stops him and tells him not to. When Laban comes up to him, instead they make a covenant between one another. And we find in Genesis chapter 31, verse 49, he said, Laban said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. Verse 50 of Genesis 31. If you mistreat my daughters or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap and behold the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm and you will not, excuse me, you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. We find the terms. We won't pass this pillar and this heap in order to harm one another. You won't marry anybody other than my daughters, and you always treat my daughters well. There are the terms of the covenant. The second thing we find is an oath or a commitment. Laban here, we see the words of his oath and his commitment. I won't pass by this heap. Then it says regarding Jacob, he had an oath. He swore by the fear of his father Isaac. He swore by God. They committed themselves to it. And then thirdly, there was a curse. They uttered a curse upon themselves if they violated the covenant. Here it's implied when Laban says, the God of Abraham and Nahor and their father, judge us if we do something other than this. We can find it more specific in the covenant between God and Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 27 as God established the covenant with them in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 15, very explicitly, two chapters of it, he says, Cursed is the man who makes an idol or a molten image, verse 16. Cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother, verse 17. Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark. And for two chapters we have, Cursed are those who do not live by this covenant. That was always a part of the covenant. But then interestingly, in addition to the terms, in addition to the commitment, in addition to the oaths, or the curses that were brought down upon them if they violated, there was finally some kind of external act of ratification. Under the Old Testament, it almost always involved a sacrifice. And within that sacrifice, they would do different things. We find in different covenants, different things they did. In Jeremiah 34 and verse 18, we find out about where they would cut the sacrifice in two, lay it down, and the covenanters would walk between it demonstrating their sharing in the covenant. Sometimes they would take the sacrifice and they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it on those who were involved in the covenant. For instance, that's what Moses did in Exodus 24. They sacrificed the animal. He sprinkled Aaron and the priests and the people with the blood from the sacrifice and then sprinkled it on the altar. 
the demonstration of the sharing of the covenant between God and the children of Israel. But a lot of times what they would do is they would offer the sacrifice and then they would share a meal within that, of that sacrifice. In fact, in Genesis 31, that's exactly what Jacob and Laban do. In verse 54 of Genesis 31, Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal. And they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. The covenant meal participating in this meal together was a demonstration that these two had agreed and committed themselves to this covenant that had formed between them. And very interestingly, the children of Israel, as they would make their sacrifices to God and the covenant that they had there, it was very much as though that they were eating this together. The children of Israel would eat their part of the sacrifice and God's part would be consumed on His altar as though they were eating this meal together. That's exactly what we see in a covenant. Our covenant is no different. As we participate in this meal, we need to remember this covenant and what it signifies. As we are participating in this meal, we remember the terms of the covenant. What did God offer us from His standpoint of the covenant? Forgiveness. Our terms of the covenant? Well, certainly, I'm not going to spend all day reading from Matthew throughout the book of Revelation, but we can find a summation in Romans chapter 6. What have we agreed to in our covenant in Romans chapter 6? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Are you, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we've been buried with Him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Here we find that this covenant meal we remember the terms. We've agreed to walk in newness of life. Our commitment. We made our commitment in baptism, as Romans 6 says, when we were baptized into His death. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about the time when our conscience were sprinkled clean and our bodies washed with pure water. There was our commitment to the, to the covenant of God. And God, of course, to what did He commit? We can look in Jeremiah chapter 31. In Jeremiah chapter 31... We remember the commitment that God made to us. Jeremiah 31 and 31, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them and on their heart I'll write it. And I'll be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they'll all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I'll forgive them their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. What has God covenanted with us, committed to? Our sins He'll forget and remember no more. We can know Him. No longer do we have to have the priestly class set apart, but we can all know Him by having His heart written on our His words written on our hearts. God is committed to that. But there's also a curse. And a lot of folks would like to overlook this aspect of the covenants, but there is always the curse. And we too have a curse if we do not abide by our covenant. In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 26, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. 
Anyone, verse 28, who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There is a curse on us if we come into this assembly and participate in this covenant meal and then walk out on Monday and decide to live however we want to, willfully sinning. We are submitting to a covenant as we participate in this and we are reminding ourselves of the terms and the agreement and the curse that is upon us if we do not live by that covenant as we participate in this meal. And as we participate in it, it is that ratification, that external element that demonstrates our sharing in the covenant. And of course, one of the great things is that we can trust God on His end of the covenant. Hebrews 6 and verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. God can't lie. We can trust Him on His end of the covenant. As we participate in this, we are reminding ourselves of our part of the covenant. The terms the commitment, the curse, as we share in it and participate with God in this covenant. The Lord's Supper is not only a memorial meal, not only a sacrificial meal, not only a covenant meal, but it is, as we most often call it, a communion meal. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 17, Paul said, Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread the communion that we have through this meal. Once again, as we consider the Old Testament and we look at the sacrifices, the covenants, and the memorials that they had before God, we remember in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 7, Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 7, There also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God. Verse 18, But you shall eat them before the Lord your God. In Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 23, it says you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where He chooses to establish His name. As they participated in the sacrifices and the covenant meals that they had under the old covenant, Each time God told them, you're supposed to eat this in my presence. You're supposed to eat this before me. Don't eat it in your hometown. You come to where I am, where the temple is, and you eat it in my presence. Why? Because they were communing with God. They were demonstrating their fellowship, their joint partnership with God. Let us not make the mistake that so many people make today that it's fellowship because we're eating something. That's not it at all. It's fellowship because we are partnering with God. We are in joint participation with God and His plan. That's what it was under the Old Covenant. That's what it is now. It was fellowship because we are sharing in God's plan. And those under the Old Covenant were sharing in God's plan with those sacrifices and those covenants. And we today, as we participate in this meal, we also are sharing with God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 18, as he pointed out, look at the nation of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? Back in verse 16, he had said regarding us, is not the cup of blessing which we bless 
a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? When we participate in this meal, that's what we're doing. We're sharing. We're partnering. We're in fellowship with God and with Christ through this meal as we participate in the body and the blood of our Lord. We are in communion with the Father and with the Son. Even more than that, just as those under the Old Testament would go into Jerusalem and they would eat in the presence of God, we find out that we also are eating in the presence of Jesus Christ, as He promised throughout the when He established the supper. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 18, He said, I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. He had said in Matthew regarding the Passover, I will not eat of it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom or I'll eat it new with you. That's exactly what He's doing. The kingdom is here. It's been established and we're a part of it. And as we participate in this, Jesus Christ is our host. We are eating in His presence. He is here with us. We are communing with Him. We are in fellowship with Him. Partnering in His sacrifice and in His plan. What an amazing communion we have with Him. But not only that, Not only are we demonstrating our communion and our fellowship with the Father, with the sacrifice and with the blood of Jesus, and with Jesus Himself, we're also demonstrating our communion with one another. As the verse which we've already got on the board says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 18, the fact that we are all participating in this one bread demonstrates that we are all one body. What an amazing concept that is. Every Christian, of all places, participates in the same one bread. No, it does not mean we are eating one loaf. Nor does it mean that we should have one loaf on the table. What it means is that we are all participating in the same supper, the same meal, sharing in the same sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's the one bread, the one Savior, Jesus. And because Christians of all races, genders, countries, cultures, classes, and backgrounds all participate in this same one bread, sharing in this same one sacrifice, we learn that we are in fellowship with Christ's one body. Not only sharing in that body that hung on the cross, but in the body that's in the world today, His church. We are in communion with one another because we are recognizing that we were all saved by the same Savior. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we're from, we're all in the same boat. All sinners saved by the same Savior, following the same Lord. What a communion we have with one another. And this supper is a reminder of that. Our brother Norman Simon was here on Wednesday night. And those brothers and sisters that he left behind in Africa, guess what they're doing today? Participating in the same one bread. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. We have that fellowship with all who participate rightly in this supper. And it reminds us of that. There's one other thing that this reminds us of. It doesn't only remind us of 
that with which we have communion and partnership and fellowship, but it reminds us of that with which we should not have communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 19, Paul said, What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. What is he saying? This supper is a reminder of our communion with the Father and with the Son and the Spirit and with His body. And we are not allowed to take that communion and share it in communion with the devil and his works. What does that mean? That means we are once again reminding ourselves of our commitment to God, to Christ, to His will. We cannot come in here and think that we can participate in this communion meal as though it somehow sets everything aright in our lives if we are living in rebellious sin. We are not to be in communion with Satan and then come here and try to be in communion with God at the same time. We can only serve one Master. And this meal reminds us of that. Let's remember our one Master and the communion we have with Him and with one another. The Lord's Supper. It's a memorial meal, a sacrificial meal, a covenant meal, and a communion meal. There's probably more to the Lord's Supper, and it is deeper than we can possibly describe in one lesson. And yet, as we gather around the table of our Lord, we need to remember exactly what it is that we're doing. And we need to take to heart the command of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who drinks, eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. We must examine ourselves, not seeing if we're perfect. If that was the case, none of us could partake. But rather examine ourselves to make sure we are participating in a worthy manner. Discerning the body, judging the body rightly. And this does not mean, as some suggest, thinking about Christ's church, but rather about His body. Recognizing that as we gather together and participate in this meal, we are doing something other than trying to assuage our hunger. This is not a common meal. This is more than a mid-worship snack. This is the body and blood of our Lord that was shed for us. And we are remembering the sacrifice that He gave for us and the covenant to which we submit and the communion which we have with Him and with one another. Let us discern that as we participate in this supper.